You're listening to the Hello Awesome Podcast, and this is episode number 83. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. It is JC here. We are halfway through the Testify series, and I hope you have enjoyed it. It has been amazing where real women of God have been sharing their journey from the world to the word, opening up their hearts with us here on the podcast, and I have been having an amazing time. I truly believe people are hungry for God, especially in this moment right now in our country. And my hope is that these stories can help those seeking to never stop. And these stories can help us who are walking in truth to continue the race. On the podcast today is a longtime supporter and friend of the podcast, Talisha Mellish. Talisha grew up in a Native American tribe before she found Jesus. She shares how the community of the tribe influenced her choices, what she learned from her grandmother, and her victory over alcohol abuse. I will say that this episode is lengthy, especially compared to all the other episodes, but as I was editing it, I felt like there were details about Talisha's story that I just couldn't leave out. I felt like they were really important to what she was talking about, and so I left them in there, and I really think that they will bless somebody. So... I really do feel like Talisha's story needed to be told as a whole, and I really hope that you enjoy it. So let's get to it, my friends. This is episode number 83 that I am calling No Regrets with Talisha Mellish. Hey guys, I'm JC. Are you ready for real conversations about faith, business, and life? Me too. This is the Hello Awesome podcast, where I bring forth topics and truthful insights That will encourage you to make intentional choices and pursue God with your whole heart. Are you ready to say hello to the awesome blessings that God has for you? All right, let's do this. Just a quick note about this new series called Testify. It does contain adult content and will not be suitable for young children. So if you have young children around, I suggest that you listen to this on some headphones, on some earbuds, so that their little ears can stay pure and can stay innocent. Thank you for understanding. The seasons might be changing, but our amazing sponsors are sticking around to bring some deals exclusively to Hello Awesome listeners. Nuggles desires every lady to embrace modesty with style and comfort. I love the durable materials they use and all the fun patterns to choose from. Use the 10% off code HelloAwesome10 during checkout at Nuggles.us to snag your new favorite fall outfit right now. If you're looking for super cute scrunchies that'll last in your hair all day, and yes, even long hair to your knees like mine, look no further than Sovita. I use them every day. Use coupon code podcast for 10% off your order right now at sovita.com. That's S-E-W-V-I-D-A.com. Get that hair off your neck and into a cute top knot with one of their scrunchies right now as you go grab that pumpkin spiced latte this fall. Blue Thistle Taylor has timeless dresses, skirts, and handbags. Mandy truly has classic modest pieces that you will love for years to come. Just use our special code HelloAwesome for 20% off your order on BlueThistleTailor.com. That's B-L-U-E-T-H-I-S-T-L-E-T-A-I-L 
L-U-E-R.com. Answer me this. Are you ready to switch out your toxic bath and body products for a better option? Rachel over at Oneness Essentials can hook you up. She makes handmade soap, body butter, and lotions that not only look and smell amazing, but they're great for sensitive skin. Use code HelloAwesome for 15% off your order when you shop at onenesssoapbiz.com. Nestled in a lovely brick and mortar store in Starks, Louisiana, Dress Like an Angel represents the beauty of modesty through their stunning dresses, skirts, extenders, layer tops, and more. They even carry items for young girls, like their best-selling lace tights. Use our exclusive discount code HelloAwesome for 10% off your order at dresslikeanangel.com. A special thank you to all my sponsors who want to bless Hello Awesome listeners. I appreciate you and thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Okay, I forgot one more thing. Have you been blessed by the ministry of Hello Awesome on Instagram and here on the podcast? Consider becoming part of our exclusive membership program on Patreon. When you sign up today, you will unlock access to over 10 posts featuring devotional downloads, ebook and audiobook files for my new book, Give It to God Girl, printable modest fashion coloring pages, and the latest episodes of my brand new mini podcast series, The Real 15, which is only available to members. I post a new episode every week and will continue bringing special access to some really awesome content. Think of it like a secret club, and this is your invitation. Tap the link in the description of this episode or go to patreon.com backslash helloawesome. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash helloawesome to become a member and start enjoying your full all-access pass today. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hell Awesome Podcast. I'm so thankful that you are back with me today. I have another interview. I hope you are enjoying these testimonies. I sure am. I've just been learning so much about the different stories um, that God is working in people's lives. And um, it's just reminding me that God is active and he's working and he will reach anybody. Um, and he just loves us so, so very much. And I'm so pleased to welcome to the podcast, Talisha. Talisha, I am just so thankful to actually be speaking with you. I know we've been back and forth through Instagram and on social media. You have been such a, a great support of the ministry of Hello Awesome and the podcast and everything. And so uh, when I asked for testimonies and I read your testimony, it was just so um, amazing and just the details of what God did for you that I, I really wanted you to come on the podcast and to, and to just give you a chance to share with everybody um, what God did. So can you just take a couple of minutes to share with us who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, thank you for having me. This is exciting and a little out of my comfort zone, but that's all right because that's how God works. So my name is Talisha Mellish, and I live in Northern California, and I am a wife and a mother of two. I have a daughter who is nine and a son who recently turned six, 
I am a stay-at-home mom at the moment, unless God leads me otherwise, and I'm Native American by heritage, and I grew up on a Native American reservation here in Northern California. I've lost count of how many siblings I have because my parents divorced when I was seven, um, and my dad remarried, and that made us a family of nine, Hmm. and then they had my younger brother and then my mother had two children and then they adopted my parents do- adopted a, a child and and now they have four um more kids that they have brought into the home under adoption so i've i've lost count i just stopped counting <laughs> <laughs> so i grew up mostly in my native american heritage I, until I was about, I want to say I was about 10 or 11, when my stepmom began bringing us to a non-denominational church. I now go to New Life United Pentecostal Church. He pastors our church, which exists in two different cities that are about 30 minutes away from each other. Um, One is in a small town called Willits, and the other one is in Ukiah. So one of the things that I really was just floored by is there's a lot of similarities in some of these interviews that I'm doing, some of these testimonies, which I think are amazing. We've had quite a bit of people actually um, share how they started in a non-denominational church or a Baptist Mm -hmm. church. I just think that's just amazing because as far as my story, you know, I started uh, in a Catholic church and uh, I know we were talking about before recording how, uh, you know, your pastor was sharing how everybody has a different level of understanding about God. I mean, first of all, wow, I know this isn't really part of your testimony, so to speak, but can you just share um, how that experience was for you growing up in that lifestyle? Sure. Well, (laughs) it's all I've ever known until I got married, honestly. I've lived on my my dad's mother is a member of a small tribe here, and then his father is a member of another tribe. And so when I was born, we lived with my grandmother, and um, it was interesting. I've seen reservations across the United States. They're all a little different, but there's a lot of similarities in that um, it's kind of like the poorest area of town. And mm-hmm. I remember growing up, learning how to uh, use the garden hose to flush the toilet or, you know, like I I didn't know any different than that. Um, Having cars down to just the bare bones, like rust, I used to play in them. (laughs) Uh, Now I think about that and think how dangerous that probably was, but that was beginning of my life. And then the second part of my life, um, my dad's tribe got a grant to build tribal housing and so we were able to move into a newer home which was exciting but it was a similar it wasn't very long until that reservation started to look like the first reservation I lived on I mean I didn't have to flush the toilet with a garden hose so that was a plus Um, yeah but it's pretty interesting it's in a sad way because again, it was all I ever knew uh, until I became an adult and I got married and I, I moved off the reservation. And it was really nice when we first moved in. 
it was just a regular community, but it didn't take very long for it to start um, declining because of the different types of trauma that ultimately everybody experienced growing mm -hmm. up. And so everyone has their own addictions and things and, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like when you first come to church, when you first, when God first shows you the whole truth, that was something that happened um, with me and my husband. God illuminates things over a period of time. Things mm -hmm. are brought to the light. And so that's kind of how it is on a reservation over a period of time. Things come out, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think that's very think, similar in a lot of, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I think that's similar in a lot of communities, whether urban or, you know, people in the suburbs. I grew up in, yeah. the, in the inner city and, and I think being, you know, Hispanic, there were a lot of things like that as well, culturally. And I think it's just, it's just probably definitely different because you are in a tribe pretty much on your own with not a lot of outside influences. Um, and so that kind of probably adds to everything. Yeah. Um, I would say it's very, it's very interesting because I see a lot of similarities in cultural groups and it's kind of in a way for me, I think it's kind of cool um, just because like you're saying where you grew up, even if you weren't related to everybody, you kind of come together like you are. And that's kind of what it's mm -hmm. like living on a reservation, except for you really are related to everybody. <laughs> it's very interesting because I have a great aunt who kind of went more with her Hispanic culture and like she makes, well, she passed away. But before that, like she made the best food. She made the best tortillas and the best beans. And, mm. you know, like um, Spanish was, the language that was heard in her house. Um, and so it's very interesting to see like culturally these things play out. So one of the first church services I can remember as a young kid was going to some, some cousin on that side's baptism in the Catholic church. Yeah. And then on my maternal mother's side, they're from Arkansas and they went to old school assemblies of God. And so even as a kid during Christmas time, because, you know, that's when I guess as in my mind, that's when everybody went to church. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, I remember going there for a Christmas service, like, and that was when I was super young. So yeah, it's very interesting, because when we chose to go to church and actually live it as a family, we were looked at, like, kind of like a like traitors almost because Jesus more often than not is considered like a white man's God, mm. even though he's the exact opposite. Right. And I don't mean that like racially. I mean that like tribes of Judah and the tribes of Israel. <laughs> right. He wasn't yeah, white. So, <laughs> no, he wasn't. And he lived in a tribal like culture. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's, that culture has a lot of similarities but I think it's because of like the historical traumas that has made it very interesting, I guess I should say, to be a Christian as a Native American. Yeah. And so I, I'm really interested in that. I mean, um, how, 
like how did you guys get started as Native Americans, you know, on a reservation? How did you even get started um, attending a, a church, any church, basically, when you were a kid? How did that happen for you? And then how was that church life uh, for you as you grew up? So when my stepmom got t- together, they had dated and my stepmother had grew up interestingly enough i didn't find this out until i was like way into adulthood like i had been married but i found out that her dad um grew up in a pentecostal church <laughs> i didn't know that wow. so at some point in the two years from my observations as a child and as an adult i think that god started you know convicting her in different ways go to church at that time. Right. She'd gone to her mom and they wanted to, my parents wanted to get married. And so when they wanted to get married, her mom said, I want you to go meet with my pastor um, at a non, it's a non-denominational Bible church. And um, I want you to sit down with him. And so they went and met with this pastor. And this is the conversation they had with us after because they ended up getting married that day in the pastor's office. We were at, all at school at that point or, mm-hmm. or daycare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was shocking. And then um, on top of that, before they got married in that conversation, that pastor led my dad to Jesus. So in the non-denominational world, actually, I'm not sure about um, Catholicism, but I know in most churches that I've been to, I'm just going to say that, that I've been to, because I don't know, um, the path to salvation is simply accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, they repent and then they declare that they believe in Jesus and they believe that he died and rose again on the third day and they accept him as their Lord and Savior in their heart and that's it that's the end of the salvation. That's all you have to do. And so my dad uh, had done that. And then at that point, our lives changed because that's when we started going to church (laughs) and they started doing small group Bible studies. And it was very, it was very interesting, but at the same time, in a weird way, I don't remember being like having culture shock when I started going to church. Um, it was very comforting in a way. And so we went to Ukiah Bible Church. I loved the pastors. I loved that church so much. Um, And we went to that church from the time I was in third or fourth grade until about seventh grade. I mean, my parents are are awesome. They really are. I know that they, they love God. And I just remember them wanting to reach the reservation so much that they started getting really into, I mean, this was back in the nineties. So church puppets were a big thing. Mm-hmm. And so we started going to these like trainings and these big conventions for puppets. And my parents started like investing a lot of time and we became a puppet team <laughs> and you know, there was seven kids. So, so it really worked out, I guess. Yeah. And they started just trying to reach the, the kids of our community. And it was at a puppet show 
I want to say it was during um, one of the local Assemblies of God churches had brought in a puppet team to do like a kids revival type of service. And I was 11 at the time and they didn't have an altar call. It was just kind of sit in your seat. But if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to go to heaven, raise your hand and then pray this prayer. And that was the first time I remember doing that. And then Mm -hmm. I would, I would continue to do it pretty consistently after that. But, um, I, I said the prayer and then at the end they said, all of you who raise your hands, you know, you're, you're going to feel just this overwhelming joy and peace. And, um, you know, all your sins are gone. All your sins are washed away. And, you know, I, from that point, I just, I wanted to love people and I wanted to love God. And my parents were really good, really, really good at, at teaching and showing us how to love people. Mm-hmm. Um, their journey with God. They were in the process of learning and doing whatever they could to love him more as well. So it was interesting though. I, I didn't, in my mind, I didn't lose a lot of friends, but I started doing things differently. I started talking differently because at that time there was a pretty good size uh, group of us kids on the reservation that were around the same age. And we were kind of like a little gang. Um, at school, we had each other's backs. And I don't remember hanging out with them a lot after we started going to church, Mm -hmm. unless our family was doing something for the reservation, like a puppet show, or my parents were doing Awana. So yeah, that was, that was interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, kids notice a lot of different things. (laughs) I think something that probably worked for you is you were used to community, you know, with the reservation. And maybe that's why you connected with the church because there is a community there. So that might've been something that was very familiar to you that you didn't feel like too out of sorts because you're familiar with community. Um, That's just something that I kind of felt the Lord uh, put on my heart um, when you were talking is that I think that's what a lot of us crave is that community, that togetherness, that family. And usually in a church, that's where you find that. And so, um, and so it does, it does make sense that you guys got connected with that church and, and then you wanted to be involved in that family and what they were doing, because that's what you usually do when you're part of the family, you do things together. And so that opened up, obviously, you know, your, your heart toward God and, and, even though it wasn't the full truth, uh, we have to start somewhere. And that's something yes. that I hope people uh, can take away from these interviews and, and from these discussions about testimonies is, you know, let's not discount somebody just because they didn't start off with the right revelation of the Lord. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, let's not discount somebody just because the beginning of their testimony isn't cookie cutter because that's not how God works. And, He's going to use everything for his glory. And, and it's just as you're talking and even just sharing the, the little bit that you shared about the beginning, um, God obviously used that. He used that to, to reach you and to draw you closer and at least to set a foundation that he matters and that you want to please him. Yes. Yes. I agree with that. <laughs> so then tell me what 
change for you because you, you now you're you're a young kid now you're 11 um so as you went through school and as you're getting closer to college and things like that as you got older how did your relationship with god change or how did your relationship with the church change well i feel really blessed i was in public school my whole life and my mom my stepmom mom my mom decided that maybe i would want to go to the local christian school after um seventh grade and at that point once i stopped kind of I guess, running with my crew from the res, as we would say, (laughs) a lot of my friends were Hispanic. I love the Spanish language and that's where I found the most camaraderie. And I think you're right when you point out the community and the, and the family um, Mm -hmm. feeling, I really got that from them because I was being kind of rejected from my own, my own people. I had even, I didn't really talk a lot about this before, but um, I started dancing and practicing my Native American culture what before my parents divorced. And it was mostly with my grandmother. And she was very learning our language, which is, is kind of people are trying to bring it back, but um, it's it's kind of an extinct language. Like there are tribes like the Navajo people who can still have conversations and, and still really speak their language. Our language was like a lot of other people. It was it was taken out, kind of the first thing to go. And mm-hmm. with everything going on in the world, it kind of makes you think about your own history and your own things that you went through to bring us to this point. And my great my great grandmother and my great grandfather on both sides, on both tribes that I'm from, they spoke our native language, but they never taught it to their kids because it wasn't okay. Because they they grew up in a world where um, a lot of the racism fell to the Native Americans. So instead of the signs that you would have see, seen in the 50s and 60s, um, like in the South, you know, where it's no colored or no blacks, or you would see no mm-hmm. dogs and no Indians here. So it's very interesting. So I, I grew up practicing that. And, and that was another thing that changed a lot. My grandmother basically rejected me. I remember calling her and telling her because I felt this. Um, at about 12, I felt God just kind of tell me like, it's not pleasing to me um, regarding me practicing that culture. And so I remember going like kind of having a back and forth with, with the Lord. Um, and I'm thankful that I was sensitive at that time. Cause I do know that a lot of people <laughs> struggle with that prepubescence and pubescence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm about to start that with my own daughter. So I'm thankful that God reached down and, and was speaking to me. And so we had this conversation back and forth for a few days. And then I just finally submitted. And I remember calling my grandmother and telling her, and she was very upset. And then she didn't talk to me for like three or four months. Like it was, it was a full on rejection. So that came. And then there was junior high and I was trying my best. I I got involved with the youth group. I was trying my hardest to do what I felt God wanted me to do, which I really fell in love with his word. I had my Bible with me all the time. And I started to experience, because I I made a, um, to me back then it was radical. 
when I look at life now, it wasn't that radical, but I had started to change um, the way that I operated as a person. And it wasn't that I was a bad person and it wasn't even that I was a mean person. I learned a lot of things early on in life about people and about our own bodies, basically. Like I said, that, that kind of stuff is prevalent on duration, unfortunately. I, you know, engage in anything inappropriate in that manner, but like inappropriate jokes and, and inappropriate conversations was the norm. And I stopped, I stopped that. And there was a very distinct line where I had some friends that were still friends with me. And then I had some friends, my best friend at that point, she actually started to get into, uh, like Wiccan type of things and uh, tarot card reading. And I remember the very last time, because I used to go, you know, we'd have sleepovers and stuff. And the very last sleepover we had at her house and she already knew we had had conversations like that I had accepted Jesus and that I was going to church and I'd invite her and she wouldn't want to go. And that was fine. I still loved her. And the very last sleepover, she like kind of brought out and paraded all of her her Wiccan and witchcraft things her tarot cards she tried to get me to do tarot card reading and I told her I wasn't going to do that because I I don't believe in that and that was the last time that we hung out and then after that Mm -hmm. um, my mom put me in Christian school and I went to that school for basically the rest of high school I had a small stint of homeschooling and I had one small attempt a semester to go back to public school um, and I didn't really get involved in anything that was bad but I didn't do very well because I was working and I was um, cheerleading and I was just kind of distracted and so my mom pulled me out and I went back to my Christian school for senior year. Um, Throughout that time I was active in my youth group I was a a youth leader. We went on missions trips to Mexico every spring break. I look back now and I see the pattern that I I always loved God's word. That was the first thing that changed for me. And throughout high school, I started to get more and more um, deep into God's word. And then uh, I graduated high school. And at the end of high school, I got involved in a relationship. It was my first serious relationship. And I hadn't turned 18 yet. And it was the summer before I turned 18. And I just remember there was a date that we took um, a drive over to the coast. We're about 40 minutes inland. And things weren't really hot and heavy. This relationship was my first kiss and all of that. And mm-hmm. um, a, the conversation turned into something that I wasn't really expecting. And I just, he was propositioning me. And I was very like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, like we don't do that before marriage. And kind of the whole date, he was telling me things like um, that I didn't really love him and that his dad told him a story about there's two different types of girls in the world. And one of them who's like fun to be around and great and all that. And you want to be with them. And then there's the other ones that make your life hard and he looked at me and said, and you're making my life hard. Mm-hmm. And, and that night I, I gave in and my life spiritually and physically, mentally, emotionally, all of those, 
every facet that makes up a human being kind of changed that night. I started going through what I guess you would think in puberty you would go through. I became really rebellious and my parents, my mom actually had been praying one day while she was doing the dishes and God told her, just straight up told her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she came to me and was like, hey, uh, is this is this true? And I didn't lie. Uh, that's one thing I've always held on to. So I just told her the truth. And then my dad came in on the conversation and he was really mad and they refused to let me see my boyfriend anymore. And, you know, I had turned 18 by that point because um, that was summer. I turned 18 in the fall. And so then we were sneakily seeing each other and he had this grand idea that um, he was going to go to school in Arizona. And so I should go too. And oddly enough, my aunt who lives in Arizona had surgery and needed me to go out and help her. And so I found, I started touring schools, found this Christian school, got accepted. Uh, While I was out there, he broke up with me. I wasn't devastated the way that my mom described I should feel um, because of everything that transpired in that relationship, which I completely attribute to God. Like I was not in any sort of emotional bondage or anything like that. Like she described to me what, what that would look like or feel like. However, because of the things that happened in that relationship and I had dropped standards that I had once held for myself, my life, once I got to college, and got kind of free, free. I went to college in Phoenix and my aunt and uncle lived in Tucson. I didn't have any family. And so I did okay for the first semester. And the second semester, I started to um, hang out with people that, I don't wanna say they introduced me. I wanna say they kind of opened the door and welcomed me in um, Mm -hmm. to the partying life. Um, and I started to abuse alcohol. Um, so that that's kind of like through school, that's what transpired. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's definitely something that I can relate to as far as the relationship aspect is about the same age, 17, almost 18 the summer after graduating high school, you know, getting involved in a relationship that's important to touch on is you had these convictions and he wasn't honoring that. Right. And I think that is a, is a red flag for anybody, for those listening. If you like somebody and they are trying to tell you that you have to do such and such to, you know, to show love, they probably don't love you (laughs) at least not in that way, not in the way that God really wants us to feel love and to know love. And I, I totally understand that as well. As far as the college goes and, and the drinking, I totally understand that as well. And so, yeah. I mean, I do appreciate you sharing that because it is vulnerable and it is difficult to talk about because you look back, you're like, oh, what did I, what was I doing? <laughs> that's what happens when we don't have uh, that relationship with God that we need. Because yeah. I know that's exactly what happened to me as well. So then right now here in college here, like you said, you're kind of abusing alcohol you're kind of getting into this lifestyle uh even though i'm sure deep down you wanted to be a christian you wanted to please god you were kind of like stuck tell me how the passing away of your grandmother made you realize 
that you didn't want to have regrets? Yes. So in college, I started abusing alcohol and it got to the point where I just was so lonely that I, I tried to take my own life and my roommate found me and got me to the student health center. And from there, went through the process in Arizona. They have a law that if that happens, you have to be um, put into a psych ward for three days. They ended up keeping me for a week. And then after that, I came home because my dad drove from Northern California, Phoenix to pick me up and they weren't very keen on me going back on my own. So at that point I'm home and that was around 2004, 2005. And so while I'm home, I start reconnecting with old friends. You know, I start going back to the church that my parents found locally, not Ukiah Bible Church. We started going to a different church right before I left for college. And I meet my husband. And between that time, I actually continued to abuse alcohol and I uh, nearly died of alcohol poisoning. And once I started to abuse alcohol, there are multiple situations from Arizona to home where God had his hand and was protecting me. After that, I started to cut back a little bit, met my husband. We started dating. I moved um, from my hometown. We got married. I moved back to my hometown. And the year that we moved back home, my maternal grandmother got sick. So she got pneumonia and there was complications and she just got worse. But basically they put her on hospice care and I started to um, try and help take care of her at that time. And that entailed was basically sitting up with her all night because she couldn't sleep because she couldn't breathe. And so I would sit with her for a full 24 hours um, because my cousin who was mostly taking care of her also worked. So there were times when I would be sitting there uh, with my grandmother and she would just start crying. And I would, of course, you know, ask what's wrong. And she would just start listing these regrets in her life. And she had grown up in church and none of her regrets had anything to do with eternity. And because I was trying to reconnect and go to church, I was trying to do the right thing. I didn't want to continue down the road that had led me to alcoholism and to um, suicide and just into a deep depression and all of that. But um, she would list things that had to do with life. Like, oh, I never got to go see the Giants play. I was supposed to go see them play live. And I never went here and I never did this. And I knew that the way I was living, even though I wasn't like by any means doing anything like that anybody would say, oh, that's bad. It's, it was normal. The way we lived our lives was, was the norm. Um, and because I grew up non-denominational, the belief was once saved, always saved. That you're saved by God's grace. And that, you know, the verse that you're saved by God's grace. It's not of yourself. It's a gift from God. Um, lest anyone should boast. And, and, and that verse is taken and it's warped to mean you're saved by grace. There's nothing you can do. So you don't need to really try. You right. don't, you know, you just live your life. And when you do something wrong, you repent and you're good and that's it. And you, you just keep going. You don't, you don't actively really change a lot. Like obviously alcoholism is, is frowned upon. 
and uh, other types of addictions like that. But, you know, if you, if you cuss, you repent and you move on. If you like, oh, I have a drink every once in a while, that's okay. As long as you're not being drunk with wine. Yeah. You just repent and you move on and that's it. And so I started to kind of feel like, um, I didn't want, I didn't want this life. I didn't want this life. And there were very lucid moments when I was drinking. Basically, there's a point where I would get and I would just tell whoever was with me, if I die right now, I'm going to hell. And I was usually drinking with people that I usually that I trusted and that knew me. So they knew that I was a Christian. They knew that I was saved by because I said the prayer and Mm -hmm. they would say, oh, no, no, no. And when I moved home, um, you know, my my group of drinking people became um, cousins and friends I went to school with. Um, some of them had been in my youth group in high school. And so when it was them, I noticed it made them very uncomfortable and they'd be like, no, no, you're a good person. You're a good person. And I look back now and I think that was more for their own comfort, <laughs> but right. I knew like, yeah. And I, and I knew like, if I died, if something happened right now in my life, whether I was drunk or not, I was going to go to hell. Like, I knew that I was going to hear the words that I had read so many times when I read it the first time, when I read it the 20th time that we come before the throne. I'm I'm paraphrasing here. (laughs) These people say, but you know, we healed in your name and we cast out demons in your name. And he says, depart from me for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that the first time, even after I prayed at 11, even after I prayed again at 12, like, I think I prayed that prayer, raised my hand every time, like up until I hit probably my sophomore year of high school. Like I prayed that prayer at least once, if not two or three times a year, because the promise of the joy and the peace was never there. I didn't feel like the way that they explained I would feel that that I would feel lighter almost because my sins had been washed away. I did get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, those words exactly. I got baptized in high school. And before I got baptized, I was taught, and it is taught, that it's an outward sign of an inward work and that it's completely up to you. You don't have to be baptized if you don't want to be. And everybody was doing it. So I'm I'm just going to be honest. Everybody was doing it at that point. So I just kind of jumped on that bandwagon and was like, okay, well, I'm going to do it because everyone else is doing it. So watching her pass away, I think the most frightening thing to me was where she was going to end up. And we want to believe that um, the people we love, we're going to be reunited with. And I've always had kind of a morbidity, I think, about my thoughts to where I would think about things like that. From a very small age, I remember thinking about death. And I think it's because I did have family members that passed away. And in my culture, we have a three-day wake. And the wake is not, it doesn't take place at a church and it doesn't take place at a mortuary. It takes place at the home. When I was about four, my, one of my uncles was killed. And when he, we had his wake, he was in my living room. And so I think that because of that, it did something that made me have kind of a thought of, of death and what happens after death. Right. And, and um, so I just remember feeling that watching her, like having just this sinking feeling and knowing how, where I was, because what I read in the word, it didn't match my life. I just remember 
feeling like I didn't want to live that way. I didn't want to be on my deathbed and wonder. I didn't want to, to have a list of things that I wish I did differently. And I didn't want to be afraid. And that was the biggest thing I saw in her was fear. I didn't want to be afraid of death. And, and as someone who struggled with depression and suicidal ideation, in that, in that sense, I wasn't afraid. Mm-hmm. But it's the after. Like releasing, of, releasing the pain is not scary to me, but it's the after that was scary. That was kind of a turning point. And I, I kind of got, I got rid of all the alcohol. I stopped drinking at that point. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that um, God uses everything like we were talking about earlier. And he used that moment when your grandmother was vulnerable to reach you and to bring you to a place of maybe being real with yourself. You know, sometimes we have to just take a step back and try and look uh, objectively at our life. Almost all of us who have come to the Lord and who have a story, a testimony, we've had to come to a place where we needed to step back and look at our life yeah. and, and really be real with ourselves and be honest with ourselves, which is probably why most of us are very outspoken and honest people. And as much as God is all powerful and as much as God is willing to deliver us from a lot of things, we still have to do things. You know, faith without works is dead. We still have yes. to do our part. And that's when, you know, when you were talking about the scripture and that's one of the things that doesn't settle well with me with either being non-denominational or being in that faith that only uses grace as a crutch to do whatever you want. Yes. Honestly, grace is God's willingness to make himself known to us. It's God's willingness to do things for us, not because we're worthy, but that's just because it's giving us an opportunity to actually do what he says salvation-wise. It doesn't mean that grace in and of itself is salvation. So then how did you get started connecting to an apostolic church? And how did you get started really understanding who God was and how did that look like knowing that there was more to salvation than you were taught? Well, during this time, my younger brother uh, had started dating a girl from high school and I didn't know anything about the church she went to or anything like that because I had been out of my parents' house for a while. So they were still at home. I knew the girl a little bit because she had been friends with my sister. And so they had started dating and I guess things had started to get pretty serious. And at some point she had taken him to a youth convention and he had, I mean, his testimony is pretty amazing. And he, he got the Holy ghost and our testimonies are very similar in, in our upbringing and the things we experience in life. And at this point, Um, there was a split in my parents' church because it turned out that none of the elders could agree on what they actually believed about salvation. That's, you know, that's a huge deal. And so at that point, the church split and my parents followed one, one pastor. And so I had decided at that point, okay, I'm I'm not going to play around anymore. If I woke up on time, I'd go to church type of deal. I'm, we're going to go to church. I'm going to go to my mom's Bible study. She taught a women's Bible study. And I'm, we're going to do VBS. Like, I'm going to get involved the way I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And, and so I started pursuing that. 
I just remember pulling up to my parents' house. I don't even remember why I was there, honestly, because it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> so I sat there waiting and my brother was there and he was waiting. I don't know what for, um, but he just came over and he got my car and he just started talking to me about his life and he was engaged at this point. They, they were getting ready to get married and he just started talking to me about um, the Trinity. And he was telling me that they were going to have a revival service at his church and he wanted me to go. So I was like, okay, well, what is that? Like, what do you mean? And he said, like, they're going to have special speakers. It's going to be awesome. And that if I wanted to see God move, to just start praying about something really specific, ask him to give me the answer to, or to show me. And if I come to the revival services that he would show me. And then he started talking about, like I said, he started talking about the Trinity and I just kept telling him, like, it's hard enough for me to, like, explain it and let alone understand it. So I don't really want to have this conversation because I don't, I don't know how to respond to you. And he just kept saying, yeah, but that's the thing, like, because this is how my brother operates. (laughs) He'll just keep talking, kind of like me, (laughs) um, in hopes that I'll get it. And so he was trying to explain to me that, you know, we had been taught the Trinity in a way that was like, it was very confusing. So basically, the way we were taught to view God was kind of like um, a father who might also have the title of husband, who might also have the title of brother or uncle or something. And so when we prayed, there was a differentiation between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, you know, so I was trying to explain to him that and because he wanted me to explain it to him. And he didn't really talk a whole lot about um, oneness at all. I had never heard that term ever. And he just kept saying, but do you believe that there, like you're going to get to heaven? There's going to be three thrones. And I said, no, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I know. Right. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. And then I left my parents' house, which is why it's funny. I don't know why I went over there, but I had agreed that I would, um, that I would go to church with him. But I was actually planning on going and seeing my friends on furlough um, that weekend. And so that kind of worked out because the revival services weren't until the following. So we go and we go for the weekend up to my friend's husband's house. And they kind of kicked back. Furlough to them was kicking back. Like they had their meetings. They had to go and give um, testimony to the churches that were sending money and things like that. But um, if they weren't doing that, it was kind of like they, they wanted to drink and my friend wanted me to drink with her. And I, I kept having to tell her, no, like, I don't do that anymore. So a lot of the weekend was us watching them drink. Um, and we went out to dinner one night and I just said, yeah, um, right before I came up, like I had this conversation with my brother, he invited me to go to his church and I had never had a conversation with them ever. I, I hadn't had a conversation with anybody because I didn't even know what kind of church he went to at all. And before I even got another word out, my friend's husband, um, both of them graduated from Calvary Chapel Bible College. And so I'm looking at them like, you know, there's certain people in your life that that really are like your pastor, for example, who are really like on a whole nother level. You you look up to them and and you see them as your spiritual authority. And for me, if somebody if I felt somebody like knew the word better than I did or something, I was like, oh, you know, that's I have to listen to them kind of thing. And before I said anything else, he said, don't believe in oneness, whatever you do. And I looked at him and I said, what is that? And he said, oneness, it's, it's, 
there are churches out there that preach that God is one and that there's no Trinity. And I just looked at him and I said, I've never heard that term. And he's like, I'm betting that your brother goes to a oneness church. Don't believe it. Don't even go. And I said, well, he's my brother. And I already told him I was going to go. And that was kind of it. And then they started drinking and then our food came (laughs) and the weekend went on like that. So we came home. I had been, I had started watching. They were fostering temporarily. And it turned out that she needed permanent placement. And my mom had started to really just bug me about taking her. And my husband and I, we, we weren't comfortable with that because it's really, it's really a special person that can do foster, um, that can love a kid and then let them go and not really knowing what they're going back to. And um, I had this dream that they came and they took her. And while they were taking her, I was screaming, no, I want her. I love her. I want her. And I was trying to grab her. And then I woke up and I turned over to my husband and I said, um, I just had this really weird dream and he was getting ready to go to work. And, he, and so I just said, I'll, you know, I'll tell you later, I guess. And he left for work and I went over to my mom's house. I didn't say anything um, about the dream. I said, so what's going on with her case? And she said, well, funny, you should mention that. I, I just got a call um, and the tribe is going to move her. They're coming to get her tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And normally they don't do that. Normally they give you a lot more advanced notice. And I said, that's so weird that that's happening because I had this dream. And I told her about the dream. She said that she had been praying that God would give me a dream because there was no other way that, um, that she knew that she could convince us to take this little girl. And that night I told my husband and he said, well, I guess we have to take her then because God gave you a dream. And I said, okay. Wow. So we went and met with the tribe. The tribal council approved her moving with us. Um, by the end of June, she was placed with us. Revival started happening uh, in July and we went to the first service and it was Brother Hurst. That was um, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And then I went Sunday morning. I basically went all weekend. And the first um, few services were Brother Hurst. And I remember what he preached on Sunday morning because it still sticks with me. And he preached on um, giving. And I remember him saying, like, that he shouldn't be preaching on this. This shouldn't be something that the church has to be reminded of, but apparently it is. And saying that, you know, that if you're not going to paraphrasing, if you are not going to pay your tithe, if you're not going to give back what God has blessed you, um, then somebody, God is going to bring somebody in who will, and they're going to take your pew. And I remember that because at the time we were in our older church building that we just had individual seats that connected, you know, we didn't have pews. We have pews now, (laughs) Um, but we didn't have pews. And I remember I didn't go there. And I remember thinking, I don't want someone to take my pew. (laughs) Like I had already made this attachment somewhere Yeah. that, that this was my church and I needed to tithe because I didn't want someone to take my pew. And then Sunday night happened and I, I wasn't expecting much because I mean, while this, the preaching, the preaching in a Pentecostal church is always good. Gospel music I was used to, so good worship service. 
good preaching, but nothing really like life changing. So Sunday night rolls around and um, I remember getting in the car and we were driving. Um, the church was about five minutes away. I'm just gonna be honest. I can't remember if I said it out loud. I feel like I did. Um, but I definitely prayed in my mind. I definitely said, you know, God, if this is what it's meant to be, if I'm, if I'm never going to feel those things, they always said I would feel that joy and that weight lifted from the sin being literally washed away. Like if I'm never going to feel that and the closest that I can get is this right now, then I guess that's it. I just remember saying that and that was it. And I, it was kind of a resolve, you know, you shrug your shoulders like, okay, this is, this is just it. This is all there is. And we got to service. I was really excited because it was a different speaker. It was a pastor from a tribe up north, um, from the Hoopa tribe. And there's a church out there. Um, Hoopa is a town, but it's also a tribe. And a lot of the people who live in that town are just the tribe. So I was pretty excited. I'm thinking, sweet, like I'm going to see an, an Indian preacher and that's not, or a native preacher, and that's not very common mm -hmm. at all. And so that excites me, like God moving in Native American culture. Like, yeah, I want to see it. And I get there and it's this little, and he won't be offended at all, but you know, it's this small statured white guy <laughs> that my pastor had grown up with. Yeah. And I'm like, what the world? Okay, well, that's all right. Because I know, I know how this is going to work. And since he works on a reservation, I'm going to hear stories of what God's doing there. And I love that. Like, yes, fill that cup for me. So, you know, I sit down. And the only thing, honestly, that I can remember ever telling my brother, when I agreed to come to church, um, was do people put your hands on, do you guys put your hands on other people when you pray? And I've, I've had one experience with tongue talking. I didn't know that was a thing in his church and there was an interpretation and it was actually at a native American assemblies of God revival that we went to do puppets at. And my parents never talked about it um, to us. Mm -hmm. They never really explained it to us. Uh, and I grew up, my youth pastor who subsequently became my siblings youth pastor. Um, the stance is that tongue talking is demonic unless there's interpretation and miracles, signs, wonders, they don't exist except for in countries where it's really necessary. Hmm. Um, it doesn't exist in America. God doesn't work that way anymore. Um, fasting was like my mom fasted, but it was never explained to us. Fasting was not a thing. And, and so I had seen people put their hands on each other to pray, even at, at my non-denominational church that happened ever so often, usually when someone was going to the mission field or someone was moving. And so I said, do people, do people do that? And he's like, yeah, sometimes. And the, that's the only thing I said was, I don't want anybody touching me. <laughs> and he said, okay. For, for some reason, I believed that he would passed that message along. Later, I found out he did not. But um, it's full. The, the sanctuary is full. This, this is our church up here in Willits, and it's a much smaller, smaller building. And he starts talking about God moving on the Hoopa Reservation. I'm super excited. I'm just smiling, taking it all in. And 
he didn't even speak for five minutes. He's walking across the um, platform. He stops and he turns and he looks at me. I didn't, you know, he could have looked at anybody. It was full. <laughs> and he pointed and he said, you. And of course I'm looking around like, oh, this is, this is different. All right. Mm-hmm. Who me? Around, <laughs> like, who's he? Yeah. Like who's he pointed at? Mm-hmm. And um, he goes, you in the purple shirt and I thought oh god I'm the one in the purple shirt please tell me there's someone behind me in a purple shirt and there wasn't because <laughs> I was in the last row and I just pointed at myself you know like me and he said yes you you're in the right place and God has been speaking to you for three days and he loves you man he really loves you he's been on your trail since you were a little girl and there's some demons who are in trouble tonight they're in trouble because they had one job and that was to keep you away and they failed. And the devil trembled when you walked into an apostolic church. Yes. And um, of course, to be honest, I still didn't know what that meant exactly, but you know, I'm just taking it in and God loves you and he wants to use you and you're a flower. You're a beautiful flower. That's just starting to bloom. And man, it's beautiful. God is going to use you. You're going to do great things in your community. Man, he really loves you. Your family will be saved through you. And you have been battling your whole life. And God said, this will be a battle, but you're used to fighting. And people will see something different about you. And they'll see that beautiful flower and ask you what's so different about you. And if you study his word and you pray, he will give you the words to say. But you have to make a choice if you want to live for God or if you want to live in the world. Man, he really, really loves you. He adores you. And if you'll stand on your feet and lift your hands and repent and worship God. And after that, I I was already on my feet and, um, my hands were lifted and I was worshiping like I had never worshiped before. I was just crying out. And, uh, and the rest of everything is kind of from my husband's point of view because I was crying and my hands were in the air. I could feel my brother next to me. And at that point I could hear um, the speaker brother, brother guys singing by and he had already, he come down and he was standing in front of me and they were praying with me. And so my husband, who I haven't even said his name, I'm sorry. His name is Simon. And um, at that point he said, you stood up and um, people, everybody stood up. The whole sanctuary stood up and they started to circle around you. And I backed away. And I, I do want to make this a little subpoint. Simon is an only child. He grew up in a, a, a family that did not go to church, did not believe in God. God moved on him in high school to start going to youth group on his own. And he did. Um, when we had moved out of our hometown, we had tried to find a church. Um, because at that point, like I was, I was desperately trying to lessen my drinking. And we wanted to get into fellowship. And Redding, California has one of the biggest, I think it's one of the main campuses in California of the Bethel Church. 
and mm -hmm. a friend of from my youth group had started going to a Bethel church in Southern California. And he had said, it's so great. Go there. It's so powerful. Um, it's not like anything you've ever experienced. Um, and there's a lot of people our age that love God that go there. And I think you guys will really like that. And um, I was away on work and he had gone to the church, to the Bethel church um, on his own. And I remember him calling me that night because um, I had, I still have never gone to a Bethel church, but he said that they were, there was screaming and there were, there was a girl next to him that like fell on the floor screaming. And like, he said, it looked like she was having a seizure. So I was like scared, but nobody was doing anything. Nobody even looked at her. Mm. And so we never went after that because he, it freaked him out. So I had to say that because that's why he backed up. Because everybody was yeah. lifting their hands and praying. And, um, and later he told me that our pastor's daughter, who I had known in passing, and I later asked my brother um, about this, but people were trying to reach out and put their hand on me to pray for me. And she was like swatting their hands away, <laughs> like going around in the circle, swatting their hands away. I'm just trying to imagine her doing that and it cracks me up every time. And I later asked my brother if he had if he had told her to do that, and he said no. He actually didn't tell anybody what I said about touching me. <laughs> so I just think that's just a little tidbit of how much God cares about the things that mm. we care about. Um, I don't I don't have an aversion to that now, but anyway. So at this point, the whole church is circled around me. My husband is standing outside the circle, just watching. And uh, my brother's praying and brother Zingenbein is, is praying and he's, he's telling me to open my mouth, open my mouth, just open my mouth and worship God. And at some point the Holy Ghost fell and I remember feeling the power and then just praise erupted when it could kind of, and when it had kind of calmed down I put my hands down I just turned and hugged my brother so tight and uh shortly after that he gave us the bible study um God had started to move on my husband and he had started to seek uh the truth and I think it was I don't suggest this but I think it took almost a month for me to come to the knowledge and the the realization that I needed to be baptized in Jesus name um, and how that was different from when I was baptized in high school. But my husband got baptized around the same time. And, uh, and yeah. I love how God is in all the details. He really does love us so much and he really does yes. care about those things. And he meets us where we are and he, then he brings us through to the other side where we can be better and he can strengthen us. And I'm just so thankful that you, you know, you've taken this time to share your story with us and, you know, opening up and being vulnerable, especially about those parts that aren't the most polished parts, but that's where God works. And uh, as we wrap this up, I wanted you to just take a moment and just share whatever it is that's on your heart with the listeners out there. Maybe there's somebody who is struggling with addiction or they're struggling with their self-image. 
maybe they're struggling in a relationship where there's somebody asking them to compromise their convictions. What would you, what would you say as a word of encouragement to somebody listening right now? I would say keep seeking God. Um, I know what it's like to feel hopeless and helpless. I know so many people, especially with the world the way it is today. And I know that it feels like you're alone. But the way that God spoke to me when I got the Holy Ghost and the way he still does on the days that I struggle, he just constantly reminds me like, Talisha, you, you didn't have the Holy Ghost. You didn't even know who I was when you were a little girl, but I was there because there is something in you that God put in you. He put in all of us that causes us to desire something bigger, something outside of ourselves. You just want to be loved and accepted. And as cliche as it sounds, God is, is waiting. He's there with open arms and he's not far. He's not waiting up in heaven and he's not waiting in the next room or at the church in your town. He's waiting right there at all times. He's everywhere and he's waiting for you. And if there's one thing I've learned during this time, it's God works differently according to our needs. It's not like JC said earlier, it's not, it's not, it might've been pre-recording, but it's not always cookie cutter. He doesn't, he's not in a box. He's going to meet you where you're at and he's going to meet you with what you need. He will see that desire and he will meet you there. He will meet us at the level of our expectation. And if we expect him to do little, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself. But when we expect big things, he's a big God and he's going to answer in a big way. And I just want to encourage whoever needs it that if you need to take that time to just reflect and look at your life and ask yourself the hard question, if I died right now, what is Jesus going to say to me? Is he going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of thy master? Or is he going to say, depart from me for I never knew you? And I can't answer that. JC can't answer that. Your pastor can't answer that. Because in reality, our relationships with God are our responsibility. God gives us pastors. He gives us leaders and spiritual authority. He gives us voices like JC's. And he does that so that we can be led down a path of righteousness so that we can be encouraged and, and uplifted. Um, but ultimately, you're the only one that can answer the question of where you are at with God. And it's never too late. My pastor says, if they're breathing, it's not too late. So I just want to encourage you to do what you have to do. And you know what? If you have to pray, I believe, but God help my unbelief. Or if you have to pray, God, give me the strength to do this because it's really hard. It's painful. I don't really want to do it, but I really, really want to desire you more than the things of this world or more than the things that bring me comfort. Lord, you're my comforter. You're my shield. You're my protector. If you have to say that, he's there and he understands. It's, he's not going to judge you. He's not going to reject you. 
he's going to help you. And I, and I can say that because I've had to pray those prayers, every single one of them. And sometimes I still do. He will meet you. He will meet you where you're at. Yes. Amen. I agree. Thank you so much for sharing that word of encouragement and thank you for sharing your story and opening up your heart. And I am just thankful for you. And I know that God is going to just bless you so much um, as well as the listeners. Thank you for having me and letting me share. If you found this episode inspiring or helpful, would you take a screenshot of it and share it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Hello Awesome Ministries? It will encourage me that you were blessed. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you can tune into future episodes. To learn more about Hello Awesome, head to HelloAwesomeMinistries.com. Until next time, keep your chin up, beautiful.